In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And now, time will enter the scene of what is already a knowingly displaced and disjointed world. Land and water have yet to be separated. Darkness still covers the face of the deep. There will be foliage and animals. There will be light and darkness. Stars and galaxies hung like a strand of Christmas lights in December. They all will come together. The world will join itself under the voice of God. And Adam will enter the scene. Eve will join him and they will live without fear and without want. But sin will make its appearance through disobedience and the world's first couple will be removed from the Garden of Eden. Our next line features children, sons with different natures and obvious pursuits. God will speak to Cain that sin is crouching at his door. God said, you must master your desires, Cain. It's a warning unheeded and unobserved. Then in short order, the innocent blood of Abel will cry from the ground. Sin has already taken root in the Bible's first family. The scripture will race ahead in time, always moving forward until it descends on the chaos of the human condition. It's much like the placed and displaced, disjointed earth when it was without form. Darkness is on the face of men and women. Lust rules the day, debauchery the night. People are so far from God's original intent that it turns the creator away from his own creation. He dismisses his likeness. Here's your Bible. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. The word repent in verses 6 and 7 Come from the word nakam, which means to rue the moment or to be filled with regret and remorse. God was grieved at the condition of people. The Bible will not allow us all the access into the living, what they were doing, but it was enough to grieve the heart of God. It was enough for him to have changed his mind or rued the day that he made them. Then we know, because of that, that whatever life they were living, it was shameful. They were a population of reprehensible beings with no redeemable qualities. Think of that for a moment. All of them, the entirety of the human race was despicable. And God said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth. Men, animals, creatures, birds. For I am grieved that I have made them. 
It was over. It was over. Everything that is present today and that has existed for these thousands of years was on the verge of being gone forever. The creation has turned from its creator. And while we all sit here, stand here today, there was a moment when all of it that is would be no more. Perhaps another creation could exist or could have existed in some other dimension or some other fashion. We should not even be here today. He said, God said, I will wipe them out. Mankind, animals, fowls of the air, all of it. For I rue the day that I made them. It should have been over. We should have been done. And God should have moved on to something else or someone else. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. One man among them. One among thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. Noah is alone, but the fact that he is there made all the difference. No one standing with him. The whole of the world opposing him. None of them aligning with him or with God. It's like Noah is living on an island of obedience. He is existing under the forgotten statutes of the Lord. This world should have been dismissed. From this mortal life, there should have been nothing left, not even the whisper of a memory. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. One. That's all it took to save the planet and everything in it. One. Noah found grace. It was over. But one was enough to begin again. The second Genesis began with one man with grace. I'll caution you here in this word grace because our watered down Christian culture has muddied the pool of understanding. This grace does not mirror our cultural concept. The Bible gives us the definition of grace. It defines it with three points, three definitions. I'll read it to you from verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. The life of one was all God needed to recreate the entire world. Just one. Just one person doing right, living blameless among his own community and seeking God. It's not a hard thing to understand. It's just an unusual thing to see. Do right, live blameless, seek God. Just one. One man with no peers to cheer him on. One person with no group to encourage his steps of faith. No one helped him in his community. He was not gifted with a church family or a worship team. There were no Bibles from which to draw strength. No testimonies from the saints to hear or rehearse in his own mind. He just did right. It's called righteousness. And he lived blameless. It's called purity, obedience, and justice. And he sought God. It's called prayer and devotion. And when it was time to wipe it all out, God paused to consider the case of one. Noah found grace. Just so you know that he did not save all the world. Noah did not save all the people of the world, but he did save his family. And that's why Hebrews said, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things as yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his own house, by which he condemned the world, he became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. It may not be the whole world or your entire community, but doing right and living true and seeking the Lord 
Lord is more than enough to hold back the judgment that's coming to this world. It's enough to save your family. Just one. Oh! I stand here to say today that you can break the chains of generational calamity and generational addictions and generational hang-ups. You can do something that no one has done before you. It will save your family and I submit to you, it just takes one. Build an ark, ladies and gentlemen. Build your own ark. That's the church. The flood, the water, that's baptism. But the ark means the church. The, church. the ark is a type and shadow of the church. And the church and your service in the church is the ark. And it's more than enough to save your family. You may not be able to reach everybody, but you can save your family. One. There is, if there's one. I'm moving ahead in the gospel. Stay with me now. <laughs> oh, Jesus has a need. I understand the wording here. Jesus has needs, or specifically needs to go somewhere. It's the prose of the king's English. But there is an obvious intention found in the subsequent scriptures. Here's what John wrote. I'll read it to you. Speaking of Jesus, and he must needs go through Samaria. I won't pass it off as some connecting sentence. It's not some mere conjunction bridging a few storylines together. Jesus was on a mission. He's not simply passing by some nondescript location. He purposely stops at Jacob's well. The well sits down at a well. And not only does he stop there, but he will appear to separate himself from his disciples as they went away to buy food. It's not a casual affair, for he said of himself, I am about my father's business. At that well was a Samaritan woman. She is obviously taken back by his request. Because the Lord asked her, will you give me a drink of water? Think of her reply. Her reply is born of formalities between men and women. She considers both conduct and the angst, the obvious angst of the Jew and the Samaritan. And she said as much in John 4, 9. The woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. But Jesus knows what he's doing. You see, he's after more than a cup of water. He's ready to present himself to her as the Savior. Because both now and forever, what he has to offer us is always more than anything we can give to him. <laughs> and Jesus says, if you knew who was asking, if you knew you would be asking me, I would give you living water, you would never thirst again. It's a short dialogue because Jesus reveals her life to her, reading the pages of her life like an open book. And watch it, when he uncovered the unknowable and she accepted his word, he revealed to her who he was, something he did not reveal to the Jews. The conversation is almost over when the Bible says that upon this came his disciples. They were shocked, surprised that Jesus was take, talking to this woman. However, they did not ask him or question him. They knew that the moment was beyond their understanding. They just watched the last moment of the Lord's interaction with a Samaritan woman. It's then... 
as they walked up to the final moments of the Lord's conversation that the woman left her water pot at the well and ran back into the city. She's so moved by what she heard and what she has witnessed. She's so convinced that Jesus is the Messiah that she cannot hold it back. For when she spoke of the coming Messiah, Jesus spoke unto her and I quote, I that speak unto thee am he. The woman is now racing back. She's running to tell all of her friends and neighbors and family. She's running with expectancy and joy. Something has happened and she cannot keep it to herself. It is so overwhelming. Look back, everyone, at the edge of the well. She's left her purpose for which she came, her water pot. That's why she was there to begin with, but she left her purpose, her reason. And I suppose that her reason being there now suddenly doesn't seem as important when she meets the Messiah. Or maybe I should say it the way the Lord spoke to me. When you have an encounter with Jesus, your purpose will change. The more encounters you have with the Lord, the more spiritual moments you have with Jesus, the more you're going to be a witness to everybody. You won't be able to hold it back. Witnessing stops when your purpose is temporal. You can always tell a carnal person or a worldly-minded person because their hands are always filled with things that keep them from sharing the gospel. But this woman runs back into the city and she says, and I quote, Come, see a man who told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And the Bible says that many of the Samaritans believed and they said to the woman, they all came out and they finally said if they heard him, now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. The Samaritans are going to have an Acts chapter 8 revival with Philip because of one person. The word of one, it only takes one. When your purpose changes, you can reach an entire city. One can reach an entire community. An entire place can be saved. Your neighborhood may just be waiting to hear a word from you. And I know that we like for other people to come with us. I do too. And I agree that there are strength in numbers. I know. And our courage seems to increase as the odds stack in our favor. And our our boldness is bolstered when we are surrounded by like-minded people of the word and of faith. But as you seek the Lord and as he reveals his wonder to you, your purpose will be transformed. And in turn, you're going to find your voice to speak the gospel. It only takes one to have a mighty revival. I'd love to have a hundred of course I believe we should all be teaching Bible studies in our homes or online or wherever we can but never underestimate the power of a single voice God hears the one he's into the one he will lead the 99 to seek out the one Moses thought he needed his older brother to speak for him because Moses had a speech impediment. He had a problem stuttering. He had limitations. He even said, oh Lord, send Aaron. And God consented to have Aaron help Moses. God wanted Moses to confront Pharaoh. And Moses said, I'll let Aaron do it. However, something happened in between that encounter and the time when Moses confronted the king of Egypt. It was the voice of Moses that rang out and rang true. Aaron never spoke to Aaron 
it to Pharaoh. Moses didn't need Aaron. He just needed to find his voice. And I'm not concerned today about the odds as long as I'm speaking the word of the Lord. And I know that whatever my limitations are and I feel them in myself, I know that God is greater than my limitations. I'm so consumed with this thought as we all stand here can you hear me today you stand at the brink of the end of a dispensation you're living at the end of the brink of the dispensation and we can ill afford to hold back the truth found in Acts chapter 2 and found in John chapter 3 the gospel the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ I hope we all pick up the mantle and move towards the lost. But if you are the only one witnessing, I'm here to tell you that one is enough to have a Holy Ghost revival. Please pardon me for a moment. Don't tell me that you're only 19 and you're a young lady. Don't tell me you're only 21 and you're a young lady. You are enough. If you're 17 or 16, you're enough to have a Holy Ghost revival all by yourself. Don't tell me that you're just, that you're just, you're just a little older and you don't get around. Get on the phone. Talk to somebody. Start a prayer meeting. Invite people over to your home. Have some kind of glory cloud in your house. You have enough to have a Holy Ghost revival. You don't need anybody but you and Jesus. One is enough. It only takes one. And I'm, I'm sorry if my next statement is a little trite. I know it's been around a little while. My sincerest apologies for not making a new one. I just can't help it. But let me just say it. You and the Lord are the majority. Not you and me. Not you and them. Not all of us. You and the Lord, it only takes one. David took down Goliath with the help of the Lord. David stepped forward while the entire army of Israel huddled in fear. They heard the sound of the enemy and they believed the words of Goliath more than the word of the Lord. Saul, the king, was befuddled, but David was full of courage. And all I can say is that David came in the name of the Lord. I don't know how he did it. I'm not going to say it was by practice. I want to say there was a few things happening that day, but I will say he called it out. You come to me with a sword and a shield but I not we not all of us I come to you in the name of the Lord you want to get a hold of the enemy that's attacking your family you get up and say nobody may be with me it not might just be me but I come to you in the name of the Lord you want to come against a force or a sickness you rise up and say I come to you in the name of the Lord oh yes oh listen I hope there's a host of believers standing together I really do There's nothing like the unity of the body of Jesus Christ. I wish we could all stand united for the cause of Jesus Christ. And I hope that there are people who will fill in the sides of your battle and back you up, be on the flanks and in front, and who will intercede for you and hold up your arms. But if you come in the name of the Lord, there's no giant great enough to stand against you. Giants always fall at the sound of the name of Jesus. 
it only takes one and you might say pastor I don't know the Bible real well that's okay when you come up against a problem you just say in Jesus name you might say pastor I don't have a lot of faith I don't I have a lot of doubt that's all right the Lord is big enough to cover your doubt you can say pastor my heart is not right I feel self-condemned the Bible says that when your heart condemns you God is greater than your heart you just stand up and say I come to you in the name of the Lord it only takes one it only takes one it only takes one person to break out Eleazar was one man he fought a battle the Bible says it lasted so long that his hand clave unto the sword Eleazar his hand seized around the handle of his sword he could not pry his fingers loose when the battle was over it was a long battle and you know it's a long battle when you don't know where your hand ends and the sword begins. Long battles. Here's the curious part. I'll read a couple verses, pieces from the next two verses. Second Samuel 23 verse 9. And the men of Israel were gone away <laughs> while he was fighting by himself. Here's verse 10. And when it was over, the people returned after him only to spoil. He wiped out the enemy. The Lord gave him a great victory. And the people went away. They only came back to pick up the valuables. I, I got to really focus my brain here. I cannot focus on the laziness or the coward. I cannot, I cannot afford to get mired in the mud of those who go away and only return when things get good. I can't focus on those people who say, when you get the buildings done, call me. When the choir gets back together, I'm coming. I got to block that out. It's hard to do. Mind control. <laughs> I've decided, however, because it's a decision, to rejoice over the fact that Eleazar stood up and fought a battle all by himself and God gave him a mighty victory. It only takes one. Maybe you've been waiting on someone else. Maybe you've been thinking about other people. Well, well if they come, I'll come. Maybe you thought that when your best friend commits to God, you'll, you'll commit. Or, or maybe when your family starts serving the Lord, you'll do it too. Or your spouse, well, if my spouse gets involved, I, I'll get involved. But I feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you today. He would that all come, but he'll use you if you're the only one. And it doesn't matter if anybody's with you and you got to put away all those feelings if they're coming back to pick up the spoils. God's still going to give you the victory and if they come back to get the blessing, that's okay. Because I'm going to rise up and I'm going to fight the long battle. you got to hold on to the sword. Yay! That only takes one. Shema, one of David's mighty men of valor, 
took out a troop, the Bible says, of Philistines. Elijah stood on Mount Carmel. He asked the people if the Lord was their God, and nobody gave him an answer. He said, how long will you waver? How long will you be indecisive? Then the false prophets wasted the day begging Baal to answer by fire. They broke down the stone altar that they had built. They danced and cut themselves with stones. And at the end of the day, when evening sacrifice was come, Elijah built back the altar all by himself. He prayed all by himself. Nobody helped him. The only people that helped him are the people who poured water on the sacrifice. That's who's going to help you. People who pour water on it. He stood up before that indecisive crowd. He looked into the hateful eyes of 850 false prophets of the grove and of Jezebel. And he called fire down from heaven. And he picked up a sword and summarily killed all 850 false prophets. And then he put his ear to the sky and he said, I hear the sound of abundance of rain. It only takes one to see fire and hear rain. I'll date myself a little bit because my brother and I want a, won a radio in a She's for Christ march. And we were so happy about winning the radio and we would listen to the radio with the door closed. And that's where I was first introduced in the early 70s to James Taylor and a lot of other groups which I will not rehearse today, though I want to so badly right now. And in 1970, James Taylor sang, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. But I want to tell you, he never saw what Elijah saw when he was standing on Mount Carmel. He saw fire and he saw rain. And it only takes one to have a mighty outbreak of revival to see things that have never been seen and to hear things that have never been heard. It only takes one. It only takes one. It only takes one. I'm reaching. Is there one in here? Is there a one in here today that will see things that have never been seen? Call out things that have never been called out. Hear things that have never been heard. You can, you can, you can be the one. You just have to decide, I'm going to be the one. Hear me. There's so many things that you can do. You don't have to wait on anybody else. If you just recently found the Lord, you can start something that will affect all the generations after you. Abraham did it. My father did it. I've got more scripture than you've got Sunday. But I'll end here. In the days of the New Testament, there's a period of time. Um, historians and those pertaining to the various calendars, especially the Gagarian calendar, the Gregorian calendar, rather. It, they would call it A.D. It comes from the Latin words, Anno Domini. It, it means in the year of our Lord. Those are the days of trading and travel. Rome had built aqueducts reaching miles. Water traveling by gravity. 
They built paved or stone roads reaching far into the countryside that started to connect cities together until they even said all roads lead to Rome because it was true. But there was also shipping industries. Uh, They were flourishing, though it has been written that a thousand ships were lost to the tempest. In the East Indies and India, they were producing things that became valuable. And also in the East, silk was being brought in, but one of the most treasured things of East India was perfumes. One of these perfumes would be known in the Greek as nardos. It was a spike nerd, spike nerd, the scent of the nard, spike nard or nados. It was costly, it was capped. If it was put in a bag, it would, it, would, it would filter through the bag the oil. If it was put in a wooden box, it would saturate the box and lose its value. So it was a preferred jar or a box not made of wood, But the perfume or the oil would be sealed in a box or a jar of alabaster. The seal would keep the fragrance intact. And then for many reasons, they wanted to keep it. It only took a little bit of oil to change the scent of a person who wore it. Plus, it cost so much that it needed to be sealed and kept so that it could be traded. Maybe even poured out in smaller alabaster jars. Matthew, Mark, and John will write of the moment. Mark said that a woman brought an alabaster box of ointment, costly, expensive, perhaps a whole year's wages. 300 denarii. That aromatic anointing oil, the extract from a distant East Indian plant was kept in this alabaster jar. So just Look with your eyes and to this house you'll find a table of men sitting around it. Or, or maybe they're sitting on a large blanket on the floor where food is placed in large bowls or serving platters. They're taking their bread, pita perhaps, and dipping it into the various platters of food. Either way, they're in the house of a man named Simon who has been healed. The Bible refers to him as Simon the leper, but... They would not be sitting with a leper, so he is a man who's been healed. They're in his house, and there are people in attendance. There are dignitaries of the village, and that village of Bethany is located not too far from Jerusalem. It seems the common folk, the poor, the beleaguered, are much more prone to honor Jesus than the dignitaries. Those with status have still yet to come, have still yet... To, to, to give him his proper due. And such is the case because Jesus enters a house and they are busy with their meal and their current conversation. In the Bible we find this. They're only two days away from the beginning of the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which means that Jesus is eating in Bethany in the home of Simon, the former leper, on the twelfth day of Nisan. This means that he's not far from the beginning of the first week of celebration, a mere five to six days from the cross of Calvary. 
five to six days from being beaten and crucified. And as they sit there, a woman comes into the room, unannounced and uninvited. John identifies her as Mary. I'll pass by the conversation of indignation. I'll pass by the rebuttal of those who valued material things above the kingdom. It's the fragrance that I'm looking at that matters the most. The Bible says that she broke the box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and poured it on his head. Mark 14. The smell of it would last far beyond that single day. It was so powerful and strong. It was costly and precious. Just a little bit would change the scent. How much more? The whole. It was an oil extract that had made its way into the keeping of the alabaster jar. And she broke it and poured it out. Mary knew after all of this time and all of this teaching that some things are useless when they're broken. But other things are useless until they're broken. That fragrance, her movement, his anointed body. As they murmured, Jesus told them, leave her alone. For she is preparing my body for burial. They have no idea what the week will bring. All they know is that the scene has changed. Dinner is not the same. The scent is not the same. It's amazing what the brokenness of one can bring to the entire room. One person... Desperate for God will change any room, any church, any church service. One person crying out to God, the scent changes. One broken life poured out before the Lord and all of our well-laid plans are suddenly rearranged. You take one person that needs the Lord or is seeking for the Spirit and whatever we thought should or would happen is all set aside. Whatever organizational chart we have, it's put aside. Whatever is going on in the service is put aside. One person that's desperate for God, that cries out in a church, service and gets up and does something because they need the Lord and suddenly the spirit and the mood of the service has changed. It only takes one. I've preached in so many churches around America and for 10 years I preached and evangelized and sometimes I was in two or three different churches in a week. There were sometimes I was in four and five different churches in a week and then other times I was with one church for a whole week. And I can remember a few of those churches, they were so dead you could hear members' bones dry up while you're preaching. Nobody cared. No one bothered. They were all steeped in ceremony and ritual. All of them singing to the back of someone's head. I remember struggling through sermons when I knew the Lord was there. But I also remember preaching when a young lady she began to cry out to God and she was hungry for God I I don't want to I don't want to be a little uh, I don't want to be disrespectful to her today but tears are coming down her face and and out of her nose just just all the fluids were just running and and she didn't look very good right then and her hair became disheveled and she began to cry out to God because she needed the Lord and suddenly people around her started to sense it and I could feel the bones start to come together like Ezekiel's dry bones coming together because one person was desperate for God and when they started crying out to God something change in the service it only takes one I 
I saw people crying and praying that had not cried and prayed before. I saw people worshiping because it only takes one. You can change everything when you break before God. The greatest church services I ever had, I was ever a part of, the greatest ones I were ever a part of was when someone moved by faith. And we all knew they were moving by faith because they ought not be moving at all, but they were moving by faith. The greatest moves in a family, the greatest restoration is a family, is when one person, I've seen young men get up in their own homes, teenagers, with their families, with their moms and dads, casual and disjointed, and they're all filled. It's a void and dark home, and they're all carnal. But I've seen one young man get up in his family and begin to read his Bible and begin to pray in his home, and he put conviction in his own parents' hearts. But something changed in that home. I'm here to tell you. It only takes one. It only takes one. Give me a 10-year-old. Give me an 80-year-old. Give me a 12-year-old. Give me somebody. It doesn't matter your age. Just your desperate heart. I need God. I'll break it all before the Lord. It only takes one. It takes one person to sacrifice. And everybody starts sacrificing. That's right. Now I know the other side. I don't want to get on the other side. But I know the other side only takes one bad apple to spoil the bunch. I got all that stuff. But I wonder what would it take if one good person doing righteousness, living blameless, and seeking the Lord. I'm going to tell you, it only takes one to say, I'm coming out. I'm going to leave everything behind. It only takes one to enter the room. If they're just one, are you a one? I'm looking for a one. Please stand with me now. <laughs> oh. Jesus. If it fits your desire, then say this to the Lord. I'll be the one. If it fits your desire of your heart, say it, I'll be the one. I'll be the one. I'll be the one. I'll be the one. I have so many stories I want to tell you of young people that went to high school and stood up for the Lord, brought in the apostolic doctrine, brought their entire class to the church, 21 baptized in Jesus' name because she said, I'm going to live for God in my environment. It only takes one. Years ago, when I was a, a young single preacher, I can remember a, a young man in the church, and he went to his school, and all of his friends, and they all came to church, and there were parents saved, even to this day, because one young teenager said, I'll be the one, I'm going to go witness, I'm going to teach Bible studies. Very few materials out there. It only takes one person in this church service, and you don't have to wait till the end of the service ever. You just wait until you can't stand it. And when you can't stand it, you get out of your seat and you cry to God. And it only takes one. And if you don't know me by now, let me just tell you. If you're desperate for God, we'll push the pause button and stop everything. Because we are after the one. And the one can lead us into a Holy Ghost revival. 
One word made a difference in my life. One word, one positive, hopeful word made a difference. It only takes one. So I'm calling for all the people today. If it's your desire, because no one can put it on you. If it's your desire, say it to the Lord with your hearts open and your hands raised now. I'll be the one. I'll be one. I want to be one, Lord. I want to be a witness. I want to break the chains. I want to start something new in my family. I want to start something new in my home. I'm going to reach out to you, Lord. Come on, everybody. That's right. Wherever you are, if you're at home, I want you to do this right now. You're at home. If it's your desire, reach out to God and say, Lord, I'm going to start something today. I want to be the one. I'm going to be the one. I'll stand alone if I have to, Lord, because I know with your name and your word, I'm powerful in you.